Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. So we begin this new series today. I'm calling it How To. And we're going to look at a number of different topics in how to really thrive in life when life can be complicated and the people around us can be complicated. And we're going to start this series with a look at uh, a a way that I admire Star Wars fans. And uh, a lot of us, a lot of you are Star Wars fans. If you're not, I think you'll understand what I'm describing here. There have been three trilogies that make up the bulk of the Star Wars canon. And the most recent trilogy with Rey and Kylo created a lot of controversy among Star Wars devoted, Star Wars followers. Uh, There were Star Wars fans around the world who were heartbroken at some of the writing and the change in writing, particularly around a central character, maybe the central character of the entire Star Wars epic. And there were Star Wars fans around the globe outraged, many Many fans were outraged at what was done in the writing of the backstory, the development, and the character of Luke Skywalker. This is a man that we saw who was, in the early days when he was younger, more cowardly. He looked down on himself. He didn't see himself as having the capacity for greatness in any way. And we see him facing obstacles and challenges, and he, be, he finds courage. And then he faces down the greatest temptation, the, the call of his own father toward darkness. And when some said that he would not be able to resist that, he resists it for the sake of good in others. He risks so much. He becomes such a courageous figure. He risks so much for the sake of others and strangers. And then we get to the most recent trilogy, and Luke has, in his older years, has become bitter and a recluse. He's isolated himself. He's given himself, really, to a form of darkness. And fans all around the world were so angry, not that the outward had changed, that he'd been kind of modernized in his fashion or dress or the, the, or, or some new tools or some kind of technology he'd taken on. It wasn't an outrage at the outward person. It was that the inner person had, had been altered. And I was so impressed with Star Wars fans, these fans of this fictional you know, story that were so committed to and were so defensive of the character of the character of Luke Skywalker. So we're going to look today, we're going to look at what it is and how to look at others, at the people around us. How do we view, how do we properly view the people on your street, the people you work with, the people in your own family? It's one thing to see the visible person, the surface, the things that in our society define a person. And it's another thing to look with the lens, the eyes, 
that God calls us to have, that he wants to develop in us, where we understand and we relate to, we give understanding to the inner person and the complications that affect and influence the inner person. Uh, it's okay for me to tell this story because this was a long time ago about a man who walked into our church. Uh, really put together man. I mean, this was, this was someone who walked into our church and I just knew this guy has life figured out. <laughs> not only does he just dress so professionally, but not over the top. You know, he, he looked professional and yet casual. But it was the way... He interacted with people in the lobby, he and his family. They were just would sweetly wave to people and greet people as they came in and found their seats. And uh, I would describe him as an executive type. I didn't know much about him. Uh, they, they were new to our church for a number of weeks, maybe a month, month or two. And you just knew, you just knew this family, <laughs> they, they just know how to do life. They've got it, they've got it going on. And he and I ended up at coffee together just to, to get to know one another. And at coffee, he reveals to me that he had just recently been released from prison. He had been in federal prison for over a year. This is a family that since moved, uh, years ago, moved away from the area. And it took me seconds. It was, it was such a minutes. It took me that coffee in the days that followed for my thinking, my perception to be altered. From defining a person just on the outward to understanding how complicated people can be and that he had made a choice. He was in prison for a finance-related crime. Had recently been released and he's describing to me something that no one sees in the lobby. No one sees in the warm hello and the waves how a decision that he had made had so deeply affected his family, his extended family. And it was such a reminder to me how easy it is to assume or presume or judge or understand someone because of the outside, because of the external, because of what's visible. John Ortberg is a pastor, church leader on the West Coast I've followed for many years, decades. 25 years or so, and in his podcast last year, he inspired me so much with a look at the Apostle Paul. He, he references Paul himself as someone who describes himself before surrendering control of his life to Jesus, how he himself would view others, would make decisions about people based on the external. Paul would, through the lens of our world, the way our world often looks at other people, would look at others, make decisions about others, would evaluate other people, before having the lens of Jesus so affect his own perception, his own heart, his own mind, his view of the world. And so John Ortberg is bringing this to mind, and it's interesting to know this about Paul. Paul writes a letter, two letters, to the young church in Corinth. Corinth is a city that still exists today in Greece. This is a young church that has heard the message of Jesus. They've devoted themselves to the way of Jesus. They themselves are being changed from the inside out, and yet there's some residual. There's some residual in thinking 
according to our old default in perceiving the world, the way that we've always perceived the world or the way the world does. And Paul is addressing this and he's speaking to a culture, a society very much like ours here in America. In the way we would say Americans tend to in our society look at others or look at neighbors. The way we pass judgment on somebody walking by or just in a very brief conversation. Here in Northern Virginia, we certainly have this. It's ubiquitous in just the way perception functions. And Paul is speaking to a very metropolitan city at Corinth. This is a city that's preoccupied, a, a, a society, a culture that's preoccupied with the visible parts of people. How smart are they? How successful are they at work? Are they beautiful? Are they rich? This is, this is how the society of Corinth deemed value, perceived someone's value. And I think we could relate to this. We would certainly say, wow, yeah, this is pretty common here. And so Paul is explaining that since surrendering his own life to Jesus, not just in a sort of religious way, like, well, now I follow the teachings of this person, but allowing Jesus to change him, to transform the way he thinks, to transform his own heart, not only does he radically, in a radically different way, interact with people uniquely now, but Paul now <clears throat> perceives people in a radically different way. He looks at people, he evaluates people in uh, such a different way. And so he writes in 2 Corinthians, this letter to this church in Corinth. So from now on, we regard, regard is to, to evaluate, to understand a person, to judge a person, to perceive. So from now on, we who follow Jesus, we who, who are surrendering giving control of our lives to the way of Jesus, to the power of Jesus, to the, the kingdom that belongs to him, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Worldly point of view uh, used to be translated in English. Some of the English, the old English translations would translate this, this Greek wording uh, according to the flesh. We will no longer regard someone according to the flesh, meaning from such a shallow place of evaluation and, and in looking at the surface of someone, the outward, just the visible. We're no longer doing this. If you follow Jesus, no longer do we look at the difficult person or the person that seems sort of awkward or, or hard to like or the, the person that doesn't look at the world like I do. We don't look at them the same way we used to. The people, who vote, the people who vote differently than you. As followers of Jesus, we do not base value, place value on a person because of the outward, because of what we quickly, easily see. Paul makes the statement next, and it's, it's a remarkable statement. Though we once regarded Christ this way, Paul is admitting that before he followed Jesus, before he encountered the power of the resurrection of Jesus, he himself was one who evaluated Jesus the way the world evaluates people. That before the followers of Jesus saw the true power in Jesus' resurrection, that he is God who came to take away 
our pain and hurt and our selfishness. We evaluated Jesus. Well, how successful of, of a rabbi is he? How rich is he? People evaluated Jesus. Yeah, he's, he's smart. He's, he, he says some really wise things, but he's poor. He doesn't even have a place to sleep tonight. And so people would, would, would judge Jesus, would determine his credibility based on his socioeconomic appearance. Can Jesus improve my life in terms of wealth? Can he improve my status? Is Jesus strong enough to push back on Rome and actually conquer Rome? This is the shallow way that Paul used to evaluate Jesus. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is now in Christ, in the way of Jesus, in the power, in the transformative experience of what Jesus is developing in us, if, if for those who are in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. We now think differently, Paul says, about other people. We don't judge or evaluate or deem value because of their outward appearance. Even the way they just interact with someone in the hallway. The way they dress. How accomplished they seem to be at work. All of this is from God, Paul says, who reconciled us, me, you. God thinks differently about you, not based on the outward and not even based on decisions that you've made or mistakes that you've made or selfishness you've chosen. There's something deeper at work in the heart of God in evaluating people, including you. God who reconciled us in our imperfections, in our failures, in our weaknesses. He reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Ministry means, is, is a word that means to serve others. To live or make choices for the benefit of others. Reconciliation, <clears throat> literally translated, means to restore a friend relationship. And so this, this job, this calling has been placed on us now. That what we have experienced, what we have been offered, now we live to offer to others. And you're not going to offer the sweetness of God's belief in us and true value in us, regardless of our mistakes and selfishness, maybe the struggles that we still have or some of the choices that we still make. God still sees value in you and me as his sons, as his daughters. You and I can't offer that to someone else if we're evaluating or understanding people on the outside, on the external. The way our world often bestows value determines the worth of a person. He gave us the ministry, the calling of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Jesus came to restore the inner person. So how can you and I judge others how can we evaluate someone as not worth our time? Or this person is just not, they're just not going to better my life. This person's not going to advance me. 
because of something that I perceive or see in the outward choosing. How can we possibly judge people on the surface when Jesus came to change humans starting at the place of character? Paul continues, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Again, the message of restoring a lost or broken friend relationship. That is now ultimately your calling. You have your job. You, you may be distracted during church on Sunday mornings thinking about what's coming tomorrow morning or the week ahead or the project or the deadline. Some of the work you've got to do at home tonight. This is just, you know, and it, it settles in on us Monday through Friday. 40, 50, 60 hour work weeks, it, it, it's, it becomes in our own ethos, our calling. We wouldn't use that language. But our true calling is to be messengers of the God who's come to reconcile, not based on the outward, not based on the surface or what we see. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal to humanity through us. John Ortberg referred to Robert McKee, and I have Robert McKee's book, and I want to read you a portion of this. Robert McKee is considered today's master scriptwriting expert in Hollywood. I, I think that's true. Uh, he's still alive. He's in his 80s. He wrote a book called Story, and I, I would say my perception is that more screenwriters in Hollywood have been influenced by Robert McKee and his teachings and his masterclass kind of series and his book Story than probably by than any other single person. It's remarkable what Robert McKee says here about writing a great story. So here's the context. The question is being asked, it's the age-old question in telling great stories, what is more important, plot development or character development. And Robert McKee's making the argument that if you focus properly on character and character development, well then you're, by nature of that focus, you'll end up with a better plot. And he says many story writers fail. The, 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 the greatest reason for failing as a story writer or in writing a poor story or not developing a story to its full potential, is the confusion between two aspects of a person. And he talks about characterization first, the, this aspect of, that he calls characterization. Characterization is the sum of all observable qualities or what's visible about them, God would say. In Paul's writings, what God's speaking through Paul, the external how God says we judge or define a person based on what's visible. Okay, so back to Robert. Robert McKee in his book Story says, characterization is the sum of all observable qualities of a human being. Everything knowable through careful scrutiny. Age and IQ, sex and sexuality, style of speech and gesture, choices of home, car and dress, education and occupation, personality and nervosity, values and attitudes, he includes in the surface level of characterization. All aspects of humanity we could know by taking notes on someone day in and day out. The singular assemblage of traits is characterization, but it is not character. This is remarkable. 
True character is revealed in the choices a human being makes under pressure. The greater the pressure, the deeper the revelation, the truer the choice to the character's essential nature. He goes on, beneath the surface of characterization, the things that we see outwardly, the visible, regardless of appearances, we ask, who is this person? At the heart of his or her humanity, what will we find? Is he loving? Is she cruel? Generous or selfish? Strong or weak? Truthful or a liar? Courageous or cowardly? The only way to know the truth is to witness him or her making choices under pressure to take one action or another in the pursuit of their desire. As he chooses, he is. Pressure is essential. Choices made when nothing is at risk mean little, McKee says. The revelation of true character in contrast to or contradiction to characterization is fundamental to great storytelling. Life teaches us this grand principle. What seems is not what is. People are not what they appear to be. And this is exactly the point that God was already telling us, communicating to us 2,000 years ago. We want to make decisions about someone's worth, someone's value, based on what we see, what's easy for us to perceive without getting too close. And what God is calling you and me to as followers of Jesus is to do what he has done, and that is to get close. And not just close physically or in deep, deep conversation, but closeness through empathy. You can actually relate to a person by looking through the lens, empathetic, the empathetic lens of, I bet I know how a decision like that could be made. I bet there's more going on on the inside than what I'm just seeing on the outside of this person. The call of God to his people, to the followers of Jesus, is to move toward people with empathy. Jesus calls plain and simply to us through the words of Paul, we, those who follow Jesus, we will no longer look at people this way. We will no longer Determine a person's worth or value based on a, de a decision or a choice that they made or the way they dress, the way they carry themselves when they walk into a room. We will begin to evaluate people, look at people, understand people through the lens of Jesus. I wrote in, in preparing for this this morning, but what if it's not their characteristics, characterization or characteristics that disappoint us, what if instead it's someone's character that disappoints you? We will view them as followers of Jesus. We will view them through the lens, not of their outward appearance, but of, of the choices they make, specifically because of the pressures they face. And we, surrendered to Jesus, now view others empathetically, knowing full well this is our own story. That as followers of the one who's come to rescue us, in so many cases from ourselves, we who've given control of our lives and the pressures and temptations of our lives to his control, we are each characters being changed by him. So 
So how do we view people the way God does? No longer by the flesh. Or in our modern English translation of that Greek, no longer the way the world does, the way the world views people. We will now regard the people around us from a place of humility. We will now regard people from a place of love. We evaluate them based on the possibility of their character, which you and I should empathetically understand firsthand. If they choose the people around us, your neighbor, the person at work, the loud person, the person that's sort of obnoxious, and you would never say that, but you, you think it and you kind of know it. Maybe the person in your family. If they choose selfishly, they, they make choices that inspire, that elevate others, well, we celebrate. We celebrate them. If they choose selfishly, if the person around you chooses selfishly, we choose to evaluate them based on the potential of their character developing and growing and softening and maturing just as yours and mine are. This new lens, this new view, this way of thinking of other people, <laughs> this should be part of the character that defines you and defines me. We understand, okay, no longer, no longer basing someone's value on their characteristics, the outward, but on their character, the inward, and the pressures that reveal who a person truly is. We, we're understanding that this morning. But the deeper call of God is that you and I and our own character would be known because of this, because of this change, the change of Jesus turning upside down the way our, our mind, our brain, our heart works in this world that can be so shallow. And so here's the call to action. The absolute best chance you have of evaluating the world properly and being someone who actually can be hope and life to people, not always easy, to relate to or understand or agree with is to first of all surrender control of your perceptions of other people to Jesus. Like giving this part of your life to the control of Jesus. When we talk here about giving our lives to Jesus, I mean it, this is the stuff we're talking about. We're not talking about religion. Like now I'm going to identify with, with a church. We're talking about surrendering control of this this kind of significance of life, the way I interact with and the way I view and evaluate, the way I judge and understand other people. And if you've never done this, or if you've never given this part of your life to Jesus, I mean, it's as simple, it's profound, and yet simple to say, Jesus, today I give you my life. Today I give you this part of me. I hold on, I've been holding on to the control of how I determine someone's worth. And you are calling me to a much higher, much more significant way of identifying a person. 
This all begins with you giving your life to the way and the power, the transformative power of Jesus. And then, very practically today, I'm going to ask you right now, let this begin now and maybe, maybe take this into the hour ahead. Maybe you, maybe you can complete this sitting here in the seat. Or maybe you need some time at home alone to, to give another 15 or 20 minutes to this. I'm going to ask you to identify a person. A person that you judge or perceive. Maybe you've judged them in the past or you're still doing it now uh, to be entitled or politically wrong or poor or rich. Maybe loud. I'm going to ask you to do this right now. Begin this process. Identify a person that you judge this way at work, in your neighborhood, maybe in your own family, at school, and choose the way of Jesus. Choosing the way of Jesus is allowing him, allowing his spirit and his, the inner voice of his spirit to say, Brad, no, no, no. You know, you, in, you intrinsically know that is not the way I've designed you to look at a person or to, to value a person. You and I recognize that voice of God's spirit to choose the way of Jesus, the lens of Jesus, by recognizing that that person that you're thinking of, like you, is a person underneath the surface who has the character or, or let's say the potential of character that is beautiful. This is the character Jesus is wanting to work inside of you and me, to develop and grow inside of us. And I am going to pray this prayer. This is a prayer that I wrote for this morning. And this is, this is that moment where we can be looking at the surface right now, looking at the way people have dressed in our band, or, or how slow do they walk across the stage, or how fast. Please hear this. I'm leading us into our closing prayer that's going to that's gonna set up this song. This is, this, is a, this is such a simple prayer. It's going to take me a few sentences. But this gets to the crux of what we're asking, what we're allowing Jesus to do in our lives, in our own minds, our own thinking, our own hearts. Jesus, may I begin to evaluate other people the way you do. You, the one who chose and called the strangest group of misfits to be your disciples, loud and obnoxious, a traitor in one case, one who would eventually betray him. Jesus, you... You called the strangest group of people to be your disciples. You who prayed good and mercy on the very men who crucified you. May we see beneath the surface and see the potential in the people around us. May this define more of my own, our own true character.